703 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. How can you be angry when this beautiful music is playing? It's going to be another death march. (laughs) Here we go again. Even that sounds happy. Oh, God, it started early. <laughs> Tapping my toes to the death march. <laughs> Alfred and Bruff in the morning is brought I'm so to glad you. you're here, Andy. Yeah, you are good. You, 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 Andy, the break was like, can you guys enter the staff draw for the Elton John tickets for me? My God, you're adorable. <laughs> you're buying lottery tickets for free over there. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Alfred and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari accurate dealer today. This hour of the show is also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. <clears throat> North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. You sh- we, I would love to be streaming today. I feel like today would be a good I know, day. To I be wish streaming. we were. The studio looks ready. I don't know why we're not allowed to yet. Bruff has got the five o'clock shadow. He's rubbing his temples in that like little spot between your eyebrows where you sometimes pinch to relieve a headache. Yes. But no, I can't stop laughing because of Andy's death march song. Be Andy's singing death jingle. Yeah. Andy's the singing death march. Death march jingle. Yeah. <laughs> Elton's gonna roll that one out <laughs> Saturday night. Why are they all booing? It's this kind of morning. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. This is where this hockey club has left us collectively. Uh, there is another chance for the Vancouver Canucks to get things back on track. Tonight, though, they will take on the Columbus Blue Jackets in Columbus. Puck drop is 4 o'clock. You can listen to it here on Sportsnet 650. Of course, you can watch it on Sportsnet Pacific. Uh, let's find out a little bit more about the aforementioned Blue Jackets. Joining us now from the Athletic in Columbus, Aaron Portsline here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Aaron. How are you? Those are eight, two, zero, oh, and three clubs tonight, Nationwide Arena. Um, I'm not sure what's worse: losing three games by three goals or blowing multi-goal leads in each game. I was gonna. So, I was gonna say, Jason put this out on Twitter yesterday because the Canucks' next two opponents are Columbus, zero oh, and three, yeah. and lost every game by at least three goals. And then okay. Minnesota, who is zero and three and has given up. I can't even right. believe the number twenty goals. So comparatively speaking, hey. The Canucks are a okay in this in these two games set, but um, I know it's not a good start. So it was a, it's a four one loss, a five two loss, and a five two loss to the the Hurricanes, yep. the Lightning, and the Blues. All good opponents for the Blue yep. Jackets thus far. That being said, the results still have to be incredibly disappointing. Giving one, Patrick Laine got hurt, and two, there was so much anticipation about this season because of the addition of Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, yeah, and you know what the the loss to Laine is such a. It's obviously it's a blow to them on the ice. It's a psychological blow too. That line was supposed to be so much fun, and it's like your favorite toy breaking on Christmas morning. You know, like they they had one period together, and it looked it looked like it was starting to come, and then it gets hurt. And so there's been sort of a shock, I think, response to that. Um, you know, you lose in Carolina, you lose in St. Louis. Those are both those franchises' home openers. You don't ever accept losing, but I think you understand it in those scenarios. The real kick in the uh, groin for the Blue Jackets was the home opener. Obviously, the Lightning's a hell of a team. I don't need to tell anybody that. But to just be thoroughly, thoroughly outclassed. I mean, the scoring chances were like 33 to 11. 
in that game. It just wasn't even competitive in the home opener. Uh, that's the one that really, really allows this to become, a, I think, a worry. So they're in that weird spot that you get in where, you know, you talk to one guy in the room yesterday and it's uh, everybody just needs to relax. And then the next guy says, everybody's got to tighten up and do their job better. And, you know, the coach is saying one thing and the assistant coach is maybe thinking another. It, they're in a weird spot. They just need to win right now. And, and they're still so freaking young. That's the other part of this. So things tend to get bigger quicker, I think, with, with young teams. Uh, they would do well to stop the bleeding today. I was going to ask you about that youth. Uh, Cole Sillinger, Kent Johnson, both of these guys are centers, and they're going to be a huge part of the team, hopefully for the Blue Jackets going forward. But down the middle right now for the Jackets, uh, Boone Jenner is a veteran player. has been around for a while. He's a good player. I don't know if he's a 1C, though. Is that is that where you look at this Blue Jackets team and, and think, okay, well, the, they're, they're not there yet, but they could be one day? Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, the guy so far this season that's been – I would say a, a, a disappointment, a mild disappointment is Jack Roslovic, who was just such a good player the last two months of last season when Jenner went down. And Roslovic has just a horrendous turnover. I think Seth Jarvis of Carolina uh, called for the puck. I think Jack fell for it behind his own net of all places in the first game of the season. Um, and you know what? He, he was in, the, in their top six and now just three games in, he's been benched already for a couple of shifts. He's now down on the third line. That's a guy that really needs to be better for them because there's a lot there that just never seems to consistently uh, perform. That's been a challenge. You, you expect some ups and downs with Cole Sillinger, although he's remarkably consistent uh, on both ends of the ice for a young player. And I think everyone agrees Boot Jenner is – one hell of a hockey player, probably best suited as a second or third line center, or maybe a second line winger. Um, but he is the best option they have in the middle right now. That's been the case for a couple of years, and so he remains in the middle of the ice. The captain is also a center. Uh, it, you know the similarities between the Blue Jackets and the Canucks right now. It's not just that they have no wins through three games. It's not that they have no points through those three games. They have also given up an identical number of goals, 14 goals allowed by each team through the first three games. We've talked at length about the reason why the Canucks have given up so many goals. What's the reason or plural reasons that Columbus has surrendered 14 through the first three games? Well, I got to say the big stress point all summer, Gaudreau was the headline. The big effort all summer was to figure out a way to allow fewer goals. So they changed their system. They signed Erica Branson. You'd be familiar with him to a big ticket. They hope that their young players, uh, Boquist, Bean, Blankenberg, Pete, got bigger, stronger, and learned a lot from their first year. They pointed to all of these things as proof positive that they could be a better club defensively. And I should say it's not just the defensemen. It's, it's the play all over the roster in their own zone. They have been overwhelmed in each of these three games at some point. Against Carolina in the opener, it was the third period where it was just a torrent of shots. Against Tampa, it was pretty much the entire game. Uh, and at St. Louis, whenever whenever the game became mildly compelling, uh, the Blues were able to push the pedal to the floor and just overwhelm Columbus in its own zone. That is a 
Wierenski and Boakvist, they tried for that to be a defensive pair. That can only be a defensive pair if they're not defending all the time. And it, there's just been too much of that. The puck, you know, a couple of goals got kicked into the net by Blue Jackets players. You can lament that as bad luck. But when the puck is in front of your goal mouth the entire game, that's the kind of bad stuff that happens. And they just they, they have to get more uh, smooth and more predictable, more consistent at getting the puck out of their own zone and not just getting overwhelmed back there. What was the thinking in giving Eric Gabranson a four-year, $16 million contract? It certainly raised some eyebrows in Vancouver when that was announced. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, they saw how he played in Calgary last year and felt like they could recreate that role for him here. I think the biggest issue, though, was if you look at this team defensively, and, and Jarmo Kekalainen is a big believer, and I think I think recent playoff runs have shown this, Colorado felt like they needed to get a little bit tougher last year. Tampa certainly before that in their runs. Uh, they need more muscle on the back end. Boakvist, Steen, Blankenberg, these are both, uh, these are all diminutive players, small players, who can be overwhelmed in their own zone. Peak, Andrew Peak played up, he sort of plays up a couple of weight classes still uh, to give them a little muscle in the top four. Not a perfect fit. Uh, they needed to get tougher. They're, they're the, the middle of their zone defensively, the, the blue, as John Tortorella likes to call it, was just way too easy for other teams to play in last year, and they felt they needed a physical presence right there. I'll say this, Branson hasn't been great. Yeah. Nobody has. Like He is the whipping boy already here because of that contract. And, I mean, please, you could go up and down this roster with guys that have struggled. It's, this is not uniquely an Eric Branson problem. It's been all over the roster. We're speaking to Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A reminder, Canucks in Columbus tonight, 4 o'clock puck drop. You can hear it right here on Sportsnet 650. So, Aaron, the situation in goal. I know that uh, Merzlikens was sick to begin the season, so that meant that they had to go to not Eunice Corpusalo, who's hurt, down to the third stringer, Daniil Tarasov, who played the first two games of the year. So then on the weekend, I heard some Merzlikens back. He's healthy. I'm thinking, okay, they probably got a chance to right the ship here. Five goals on 25 shots for Merzlikens in a 5-2 loss. So obviously early days, but the goaltending hasn't helped in this equation as to why they've conceded so many goals so far. Yeah, and you know what? That's been part of all of this, too. Like, it's not ideal to start with your number three the first two games, and then you throw your guy in there. He hasn't played in 10 days, so that's a tough task for him against the Blues. I don't think Elvis was bad. I think Elvis was fine. There's probably one goal in there he wants back. Uh, This remains a very difficult team to play goal for. It's exhausting because the puck (laughs) is in your zone all the time. Even if you're not making saves, you are on high alert a lot with this team. And that's the one thing that's that's changed. The personnel for sure has changed over the last couple of years. Seth Jones, David Savard, Atkinson, Felino. You take some of these veteran players and some defensive stalwarts out of the lineup, you're going to know about it. But this team has lost its defensive edge since John Tortorella left town. And I think Brad Larson is trying to instill that defensive nastiness, make this make this team hard to play against again. 
and for the goalies, that that would be a welcome sight. But it it is. Uh, I mean, I think Tarasov saw 39 shots against the Lightning. There's probably one that he wants back. I think these guys that don't play for a very long time, I think the third period is a struggle too, uh, physically, especially at the start of the season. Um, so I, I don't know the goaltending's been the problem necessarily. It hasn't been good enough. Uh, but this needs to be a team that's, that's maybe a little bit better to play goaltender for, and they're not there yet. Well, you, you mentioned that you know they spend a lot of time in their own zone, and the numbers kind of reflect. I think they're averaging about 35 shots against per game, which is a pretty high total yeah. on average. So you can under it kind of correlates to what you were saying about the blue line. With that all said, Aaron, we looked at this game and we kind of laughed. We're like, something's got to give tonight. You know, they don't do ties anymore in the NHL. Someone's going to emerge with their first victory of the season. Something's got to give. From a Canucks perspective, I was almost wondering, is it better to play a team that's 0-3? Because obviously they're not playing well, but they're maybe more desperate than you are. I mean, playing a team that's fat and happy and is off to a good start, you might catch them on an off night. How desperate are things right now for the Blue Jackets? Because I'll tell you, at 0-3 for the Canucks, it is inherently desperate. They had a players-only meeting last night. That's how desperate things are for the Canucks. Where is it comparatively for the Jackets? Yeah, well, I think the good thing for the Blue Jackets, if you can find a silver lining, there are just two players here from 2015-16 where this team started 0-8. But the, Boone Jenner and Corpus Hollywood, those guys know how quickly this thing can spiral if you don't stop it. I, I feel like there's a ton of weight on this game tonight for them because after tonight they've got Nashville, they've got Pittsburgh, and they've got at the New York Rangers. Three and four, another tough three and four. Um, I certainly, I'm not, <laughs> I am not going to ask, and I don't think it has the weight of, must win. Do it. Of the Do it. <laughs> but it, I think there are people in the room that feel like, uh, God help us, God save the queen, or I guess it's the king now, if they if they lose this one and go into another weekend three and four, because um, it can really get going in a bad way very quickly. Um, so desperation. I just worry about fragility for both of these teams. Vancouver, I think, I think Boudreaux even said it last night, is a mentally weak team. And I've felt that against about the Blue Jackets here at times in these first three games where you're almost expecting something bad to happen. Um, and I, maybe whoever gets a couple of bounces tonight gets it turned around. Maybe it's just that simple. What a setup for tonight's game. Is this a Super Bowl? It feels like the Super Bowl. The whoever Super Bowl, whoever, yeah. whoever wins this game will be fine. Whoever loses it, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to them. They're screwed, though. The Super Bowl of desperation has a real ring to it, doesn't it? That's great. Hey, Aaron, thanks a lot for doing this today, man. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. I did not realize there was such a murderer's row lined up for Columbus after this. As you mentioned, Nashville, Pittsburgh, New York. Not easy, but uh, enjoy it all. It should be a lot of fun. We'll do this again later on in the season. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus. He's really good. As far as beat writers go, like, I don't think there's anyone that, but there's, there's beat writers Mm -hmm. that cover the team and then present in a very newsy fashion. I feel like he always really understands exactly what's either right or wrong with a team. Like his, his assessments are very concise Mm -hmm. and very accurate. And I mean, he, he put it out there. He's like, look, this is, you look at the construction of this blue line as we move on to another blue line of a struggling team that can't keep pucks out of its net. And it was kind of the same thing that I was saying is like, you can only really be as successful as the parts that you're handed as a head coach. And what Brad Larson is trying to do in Columbus, I did a little bit of reading on this last night, was he's trying to instill 
a, a, a mindset and a philosophy and an approach that maybe the guys that he have can't execute. He wants so they're they're very small on okay. their on their yeah. blue line to begin with. The guy that's drawing what's his name Blankenberg that's drawing in for tonight. I saw that on the Twitter yesterday. He's like five nine. He's one mm-hmm. of those undersized uh, U.S. college defense. Okay, right. So they wanted to make uh, them be a little bit more robust in their own end, maybe a little bit more physical, and maybe not have play cave in on them as often as they do. They give up a lot of offensive zone time. They give up a lot of shots. The way they went about it was. Who's the uh, defenseman on the market currently that's big and tough and physical and can clear the front of the net? And their answer was Eric Branson. Right. Through three games, as Aaron said, he's already the whipping boy of the team. They're getting caved in, as you would expect, because mm-hmm. Eric Branson should never be the solution to the problem, how do we fix our defense? He shouldn't. He should be a, how do we complement our defense? He's a bottom pairing guy. How, not how do we fundamentally alter the way our blue line plays. Mm-hmm. So there's that part of it. The rest of it is that... Simply going out and getting an offense or a big physical defensive presence didn't change the other guys already on your blue line. Like Boquist is still small, mm-hmm. Blankenberg is still small. All these guys were still small. So like, Good Branson still slow. Good Branson didn't make them any bigger. Yeah, Good Branson's big on his own. That's what he does. So it's going to be really interesting tonight. Now with that setup, can the Canucks take advantage? of a very clear weakness with this team. Like, if the Canucks don't have extended zone time or a, or a decided advantage in shots on target, then you know they're really, really playing bad hockey. Um, the Canucks are going to face two winless teams to end this road trip. Tonight feels like the one where they've got the best chance to win the game because I know Minnesota is struggling right now. I know they're 0-3 as well. Mm-hmm. But I think Minnesota is just a better team than Columbus. They're going to have two days off. So they lost to Colorado last night. Six the wild you're talking about, right? This yeah. is this is okay. Minnesota I'm talking about. The Canucks will play Minnesota on Thursday. So they're going to have today and tomorrow off to practice or get some rest, pull themselves together to prepare for the Vancouver Canucks, right? Mm-hmm. The Canucks, meanwhile, have to go to Columbus, play tonight, travel. Yep. You know, they're probably not going to be able to practice before the Minnesota game. They'll probably have a morning skate, and then they got to play a wild team that is going to play with desperation, mm-hmm. with anger and frustration. Dean Evison did say, I was listening to the audio to see if he said anything good because they've given up 20 goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did say, he's like, I want these guys to get the hell away from hockey today. I mean, today. So they're not doing anything today. Right. They're going to go, like, ride the roller coaster, go to the mm-hmm. mall, just no hockey. And then, but then Wednesday – They'll practice and they'll they'll sit there and go, okay, guys, this is a massive game for us. Must and unfortunately, win. the Canucks are going to face a team that, you know, m- maybe sometimes the, a team like the Canucks will will sneak into a into a into a, an opponent's building, and that opponent will be like, ah, it's the Canucks, whatever. Like, you know, we can we'll be fine, but that'll be different against the Wild. So tonight's game against Columbus, man, this is the one. Now right? that you've said that. Should we acknowledge the fact that tonight against Columbus being the one, it might also be a Spencer Martin game? Yeah, I think it should be. <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably I think a good time be. to bring that up. Yeah. You have to play him tonight, don't you? Or do you let him play against Minnesota? I can't no, no, imagine. No, they play him tonight. Play him tonight. You got to play Spencer Martin. First of all, Thatcher Demko hasn't even been that great. I'm not blaming no. him for anything, but he hasn't been great. You know, he... He doesn't look particularly sharp. Um, Laddie, you're, you're the expert. Um, what would you do, Laddie? 
I think Spencer. it's time, yeah, it's high time for a, a Spencer Martin game for sure. Totally, you know, that's the, the first season, time you, that sentence has ever been uttered. That's amazing. <laughs> you want to work in your backup pretty early on, usually. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seems like to split the first two games, but it's uh, obviously been a little different for the Canucks at the start. I think Demko just hasn't been good enough that you'd play him in a desperate situation, and this is a desperate situation for the Canucks. Like, it, make no make no mistake, it is a stinky for, cologne. This game is a stinky cologne. You know, there is a difference between, like, if the Canucks win in Columbus and Minnesota and then they get their home opener on Saturday, two and three, I mean, we said before this road trip, two and three would be fine. Now, we didn't imagine it playing out like it did, but if they can win in Columbus and Minnesota, and I realize those are big ifs, then everything calms down a little bit. If they only lose one of these games, there's still panic. Like, if they lose tonight, Mm -hmm. then they go 0-4. If they win in Minnesota, the road trip isn't salvaged. If they win tonight and lose in Minnesota, that's still one and four um, heading back to home. Like here's it's a, a bad throw, situation there. I'll right throw now. a hypothetical hypothetical out to you as we go to break here. Uh, what happens if the Canucks blow another lead tonight? Honestly, like how despondent would everybody be? I don't want to do doomsday scenario doomsday scenarios here, but if they the one commonality that they've had in every single game is that every single one of those games has been not just winnable, but like clearly winnable, multi-goal leads mm-hmm. to the point where if you even give up one bad goal, you're like you know what, we're still good. We got a cushion or, or two goals and get a point. Anything, really, <laughs> anything. That's the thing. Minnesota is zero three and has given up a bag load of goals, but they've never led in a game. Washington scored four straight times in the third period yesterday. Yeah, it just and it just all caves in. At the very least, the content would be amazing. So there'd be that. I'm tired. Though, I'm tired man? of good content. This is terrible I'm for not, the Canucks. Uh, I'm not, the content is amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know. You're I'm, new. You're new to the show at this station, right? We did a lot of this last year. I was actually I impressed with myself that I found the frustration early this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, Just because you, if you feel like you've been doing this now, yeah. Over that one texter told you to get a stick out of your, you know, we know that that fired you up. But otherwise, that fired me up. Otherwise, yeah. you were kind of like God. Like, exasperation, mm-hmm. I would say, is probably a fair way of putting it. Like, you're not in, like, yeah. I don't care mode. Right. But you're just going to, like, I'm frustrated about constantly being frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a legitimate thing to think and feel about the team right now. Because, again, there's one thing to have been totally outplayed in three games where you just kind of wave a white flag and you're like, we're not good enough. That's not the case. It's well, the, hey, man, come on. Was, good, good teams protect leads. But that's not what I said. I said they did enough to win a game in certain instances, and they did. They got out to leads. All you have to do is then protect the lead. That's what a good team does. Yeah, but protecting the lead, that's that's a big test for a lot of teams. Like, Arizona is designed to be bad is what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's a team that when they go out and they win, everyone should mm-hmm. celebrate because they're not supposed to do that, right? Again, I don't think – of the three teams that they played, I don't think Philly is great. I doubt they're a playoff team. I don't think Washington was great. I think Washington is going to be a fringe playoff team at best. So it's not like the bar is incredibly high right now, but the inability to get results and close out a lead, like it's, I don't know what else to tell you. If you've, even if you've been gifted a lead at the very least, you should be able to see that out. Like I'd say they were gifted a lead in Philly. It's inexcusable to get out of Philly with a point just as professionals, just as NHL players, right? Especially after what happened in Edmonton. But it didn't. So coming up, I want to uh, get back into the elephant in the room and the doomsday scenario stuff is what happens if this thing really goes off the rails. I am looking at a piece right now from 2018 in The Athletic 
talking about how Jim Rutherford was lining up and ready to make a trade in Pittsburgh after the Penguins had lost five games in a row. And the Canucks have lost three, and there's two games left on this road trip. I'm just putting it all together in my mind grapes right now. But honestly, I want to talk about this because, you know, frustration level is high. The players have had their players only meeting. You know, the steps are happening where you're seeing a team that is maybe teetering on the verge. We don't know yet, but we'll discuss it on the other side of the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Almost immediately after the faceoff. And they win the draw. Carlson with the shot from the line. Stopped by Demko. Rebound. They score. Dylan Strobe. Mr. Wembley, it happened again. 7.33 on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Sure did happen again. Third consecutive game. Setting an NHL record in the process. No team ever before had gone out and got three consecutive multi-goal leads and lost all three. Your Vancouver Canucks did. They did it. They made history last night, folks. They can never have that taken away from them, whether good or bad. Uh, This is the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford & Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are also brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Okay. The big question, the big, big question about all of this isn't about defensive pairings or injuries, the penalty kill. The big question is, if this group ain't right, and this continues to go the way that it's going and trend the way that it's trending, what the hell happens then? And the answer to that is, I'm not sure, but I got a feeling it ain't going to be good for anybody. Now, I was reading a piece. This is funny because I always go to, what can we actually pull on here that isn't hyperbole or hot takery, whatever? Baseless speculation. What can we actually pull from historically that we can say there's some factual evidence that what happened in the past might happen again. I got to wonder at a certain point, and maybe it's already hit given they've lost three and there's been a players only meeting. If management is looking at this and saying, uh, we might have to change this up faster than we thought. We might have to address this sooner than we thought because Jim Rutherford throughout his time, especially in Pittsburgh was a guy that did not hesitate to shake things up in the room when things weren't going well on the ice. Now, just anecdotally, I got a piece up here from 2018, November of 2018, a while ago. He basically went out after a five-game losing streak and spoke with Josh Yohei from The Athletic and said, I think I'm getting ready to make a trade here. We're losing a bunch of games we don't look right. He said all the, the, the role players behind Sid and Gino and Latang weren't getting the job done, and they were relying too much on their stars. They needed some depth. So he said that, and then five days later, he traded Carl Hagelin for Tanner Pearson. Like, boom, there's a change. Make the change, right? That's what he's done historically through his career. He's not a patient guy. I've been shocked, shocked that this regime has been as patient as they have been with this group so far. 
Don't you think, though, that the reason they've been patient is because of the tight market, the flat salary cap? Did we not conclude that they wanted to do more this offseason? And the way we concluded that was not speculating. Mm -hmm. uh, it was because they said, we'd have liked to do more this offseason. We'd have liked to clear more cap space. We would have liked to change over the roster more. Ultimately, though, what I think they wanted to avoid is making an emotional move just because you want to make that move. And sometimes those moves you make – you know, they're not always the smartest from an asset management perspective because what happens when a team's in trouble? It's not like other GMs around the league reach out to you. You're like, I've got a great deal for you. No, really. I have your best interests at yep. heart, right? I mean, like the, the Pearson for Hagelin swap was very clearly, a, I'm getting these guys' attention swap. Like, I doubt it made either team significantly better in the short or long term. Yep. They were different types of players without question. But I don't know. It was basically uh, a part for a part. But, winner for a winger, yeah. But the way – and again, I know Patrick Elvin is the general manager, and I know that Jim Rutherford is the president of Hockey Ops, but let's just work with me here. I feel like there's still that gunslinger's mentality that when things aren't going great and the room needs a wake-up call, the guys at the front office and the executive are the ones to do it. I'm just putting that out there as one of the many ways that this could go. Because as you, you know, we've talked about, this could go in a lot of different ways. We've seen it go in the not good way before. It was last year. The season was a terrible start. It cost the general manager and the head coach their jobs. So we've seen what happens when a start continues to go bad and worse and worse. The Canucks need to turn it around without question. But if they don't, and that's a very real possibility, what happens then? Unsigned text, new management plus new coaching staff plus same players equals same results. I'm looking squarely at the players and fully believe that management needs to shake the you-know-what out of the roster. The mix is not right. Some key pieces have been overvalued and things need to change now. I find it very difficult to disagree with that text. I think there's something wrong with the mix of players. Now, it's up to management to get the inside stuff because I don't know what's going on in the room. But there's something wrong with the, whether it's a personality issues. You know, I was actually just chatting with Joey Kenward at the coffee machine. And he said to me, look, I know this sounds obvious. But the one thing this group is missing is that killer instinct. And I said, you're right, Joey. That does sound obvious. Now get me my coffee. But you're absolutely right. Do you remember a guy like Alex Burrows, how he would do anything to win? Mm -hmm. To the point that people were like, hey, Burr, maybe you shouldn't say what you just said on the sure. ice. And the excuse always would be, and we'd stick up for him in Vancouver while the rest of the league was like, this guy is despicable. We'd sit there and go, man, that guy started in the ECHL and said to himself, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make the NHL. And when he made the NHL, that group had that, like, like we're, we want to win. Like, this is very important. And sometimes we're going to cross the line in that. I don't see enough of that. With this Canucks group. Burroughs, I remember talking to uh, Dave Tomlinson, who's now the uh, color man for the Seattle Kraken. And he said one of the things that you always respected and admire about Burroughs as a teammate is that he was always willing 
to drag guys into the fight. Even when it was one of those nights, mm-hmm. like a Tuesday night in Columbus, where no one cared. Different tonight, of course. Because he's wired that way. He's that's just, just so competitive. Right. And he's, he's, a, he's a line stepper, habitually. <laughs> like he, it, I mean, there's no question. Some of the stuff that Burroughs did was, in retrospect, yeah. was way over the top. We knew it was over the top at the time, but you always fell back on the, yeah, but he's our guy. Mm-hmm. So we got his back, but there's a lot of guys like that in the NHL, right? Or that have been over the over the yeah. years, right? And you do need that component, especially in the tough times, especially in t- t- especially at times when things are down. Now, it's an interesting role to play because you have to have the presence, and I really, for lack of a better term, clout amongst your teammates. Like, all due respect to Dakota Joshua right now, but he doesn't have the cachet or the clout, really even the game, to go and be that guy. I don't think. No. Right? No. It takes a certain player to do it. And those things are built up over time. Yeah. You have to be beloved by your teammates. You have to be respected by your teammates. And you have to be willing to do a lot of stuff that, quite frankly, a lot of guys in the NHL aren't willing to do. Right? Burden and you have stuff to work hard yourselves. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not an easy fix. It's mm-hmm. not an easy find. You can't just point at Curtis Lazar and be like, you, do Burroughs stuff. Get us into this game tonight. Don't you work have like to that. earn that role. Yes. And it's not easy to earn. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a little adversity along the way helps you get there because you play with a chip on your shoulder. Or you've got that edge where it's like, this could be taken away any day from me. And I'm back playing ball hockey. But that's another component of what the Canucks could use right now, for sure. Because I think that they are floundering a bit mentally. And again, I want to... Just a bit. I, you know, Andy mentioned this earlier. He said in the break, did we really mention or mention enough the players only meeting. I said, well, we mentioned it. But well, after three games, it's a little bit like, oh, okay. Well, having done this gig for a while, and when we worked at NBC, you would always kind of see on the horizon when a coach was going to get fired. I'm not saying Boudreaux's getting fired. Just throwing that out there right now for the people who can't listen. Sam and Lake Cowichan. But anytime that a coach would get fired, you would see this long lead up of very formulaic playbook stuff. One was there would always be a closed-door players-only meeting. That always happened, right? It's on the boys in the room. It's not on me. It's on those guys in there. That's why they're having a meeting. The next one is the public vote of confidence from the general manager. That's almost the kiss of death. Somewhere in between, there's the coach freaking out at practice, but that hasn't happened yet, and it kind of tends to happen less and less because of its effectiveness. But there's only a certain amount of things on the, the warning sign chart that happened before a big decision has to be made. Just saying. Uh, This is another elephant in the room question that I've seen actually being asked a lot. So maybe it's not the elephant in the room. Maybe it's just out there. Okay. Unsigned text. It starts out, I'm serious. Please answer this. (laughs) This Sounds like a hostage negotiation. negotiation. Is it possible to still trade JT Miller? Like, even if you can't get much for him, Freeing up the cap space may be necessary. Uh, would it be possible? I had the same debate with my friends over the weekend. It would be a people are talking about this. A, it would be a PR bloodbath if they did it. I, it's possible. No, I, I actually, I actually don't know what his market value is right now well, because we either. all know NHL GMs will get uh, influenced by a small sample size. Right? It's often why some of these players get signed to these long-term contracts. I'm not saying JT Miller was a small sample size in Vancouver. He actually had a few seasons of solid production. But 
let's say Patrick Alvin is making the call to, I don't know, some GM that he trusts won't blab it around. And he's you know, like, you know, you, you showed interest in JT Miller last year. Are you still interested? What would that GM say? I, I actually don't, I actually have no idea. I don't know if JT Miller, because he signed this contract and because he started off so poorly. Yeah, he's got a few points, but let's face it, it's been poor. Like, just ask JT Miller. He's not a fan of his own game right now. What is it? Has JT Miller turned into one of these negative assets where, in order to get rid of the contract, you have to retain money? I don't know. I have no idea. If it, if if he's become a negative asset after three games, then there's something wrong with the evaluation process. It's three games. Like, I get he has been bad, but three games should not undo the willingness to commit. Seven years and fifty-six million dollars. Well, I think Louis Erickson was a no, negative value no, after no, one no, year no, or after one game. No way. I'm angry. No way. I mean, if that's the truth, then you have to almost take a blowtorch to the front office. Well, I mean, why do you think there were so many people out there that didn't want the Canucks to sign yes, JT Jason, Miller? Right? But then, but you, but the, that's the body of work, not three games. If, if you had questions about his overall game prior to So the, what do you think JT Miller is worth on the open market right no now? I have no idea. I have no idea. If do you think the Canucks would have to retain? If they would have to retain and they wouldn't get much, he's a negative value asset. All I'm saying is it's a ridiculous conversation to have because there's zero chance that he's getting dealt. You zero cannot, chance? Yes, by the Canucks. I will. We, we, we can do okay. one of those side bets if you want, and we can put the winner. Oh, I, I, I'm not taking I, – I, I would just disagree with the zero chance. There's zero chance. Okay. You know why? There's zero chance because no one's going to take them on. They're not going to move them. Bottom line. There's so no, no one would take them on, so you're admitting Someone that. would, okay. but someone would if you offered a great, like, sweetheart deal. If you were so motivated to move him, but they just gave him Put all him this. on waivers. Yeah, like <laughs> you don't have a no move. You not know, yet, not yet. Okay, but here's kick in yet. Do you understand how ridiculous that would look? I'm just going back and looking at the press release when he was signed, and I'm looking. Do you remember how um, emotional Miller got when mm-hmm. he signed the extension? I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying right now. I know, I know you're not, but I'm just saying. I'm trying to give you an idea of how crazy it would look from a league-wide perspective. You're like, the guy the said... The Canucks look crazy. Newsflash. Uh, Miller, like, could you imagine what the response would be from him? Like, he said, like, I'm laying down roots here. I'm signed here for seven years. I never thought I'd be able to get this kind of well, financial reward. Like, it's, it's crazy. And things... This happens in the league. It does. Hey, Vegas made... Uh, it, like, it was a cottage industry of signing guys to extensions, being like, welcome to Vegas. We love you. By the way, you're traded a year later. Like, that, I mean... That was a thing. There's there's no... But sometimes when you change course in the NHL, like you can sell it as, hey, we're just aggressively changing course here. So, yeah, you, you just say like, yeah, we were wrong. Our analysis was off. This group it's wasn't fine. good enough, so we're going to change course. And signed, part of that is like, changing the core. They signed him like eight weeks ago. Not even seven. You can't have a fundamentally altering course change of course in seven weeks. Okay, so what do they do then? If it's a, let's take that off the know, let's take know, that off the yeah. table because I don't want to I want to I don't want to blow your brain up. Oh, it's, so it's just funny so, that, yeah. yeah. Well, hey, this is where we're at. Yeah. Right. This is where we're at. When you start like this, and JT Miller is as bad defensively as he was. Okay, honestly and realistically, where do they go? They need to address their blue line in some fundamental way. 
Do you think JT Miller could get them a defenseman? I don't like if 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 it comes down to push comes to shove, it's like we might have to move Horvat. You might have to at this point and try and get some semblance of a, of a blue liner in there because that is, I mean, of all the issues that they've got, you think that's their biggest, their biggest concern right now. No, no, no. Overall, big picture, what do you think their biggest issue is? Because you could just their biggest say issue is their defense. Okay, so you're gonna vote for their defense. Yes. Yes. I might vote for their defense, but I might also vote for the core group, for lack of a better way of saying it, not being winners. Okay. Yeah. I mean, put it on the list, right? I mean, I'm not saying that defense is like a clear-cut runaway number one, yeah. but for me, if I'm looking the at The mix team, of the entire team, I don't think has enough... I guess two-way ability almost just sounds like Kind of, but Drancer came on once and he said, and I asked him to explain this. He said, um, because it sounded like a very anti Drance thing to say. Okay. He said, I don't know if the Canucks have enough quote unquote players that you win with. And I said, that sounds very subjective to me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, it kind of is. But like, players that you win with are guys that don't panic when you've got the lead, that aren't mentally fragile, that do have that killer instinct, the type of guys that if you're trailing, they're not going to quit. They stay in the fight. They're mentally strong. They're smart hockey players. They manage the puck. They stay on the right side of the puck. Those are the guys you win with, right? And I don't know if the Canucks have that. They they have enough of that. I would agree with that. Then the question I would pose back is, are Riley Stillman, Noel Juleson, Kyle Burrows, and Luke Shen guys that you can win with? Because those guys were all playing significant minutes last night, except for Juleson, who still got well, up Well, Juleson was terrible. Right. And, and he was put in a really tough position. But you should not be um, – you shouldn't even be anywhere near uh, third game of the season, Noel Juleson's in the lineup if you're a playoff team. But that would be my humble opinion. I mean, they've had some bad injuries, right? They've lost their – Pretty much, they've lost Tyler Myers, but he's Travis Dermott. Yeah, you know. but that's fine on a good team, right? I mean, we we used to talk about when where Luke Shen. I think came Noah Juleson's fine as a number nine or a number ten defenseman. Maybe. The problem with the, the the Canucks have is you know the guys, and I'm actually you know Quinn Hughes wasn't very good last night. Um, but, but it's the guys after yeah, Cal, Cal, Cal Burrows played twenty four minutes, Cal, right? Cal Burrows, that's is, crazy. Cal Burrows is a like a quad A defenseman. There's nothing wrong with the guy. He he's he's good. He tries hard, but he's been with other NHL organizations that have had some success, and he's been on the outside looking in more often than not. So if I'm saying how do they maybe fix this, maybe I do think it's looking at that blue line and saying how can we again? I just want to go back to the off season again and reiterate it, it, the every day that goes by, it's more and more jarring and more and more glaring that the president of hockey ops and the general manager looked at this team and said, let's make additions at forward. And let's and I don't know if it was prioritized, so that's just how the market played out. But that becomes the area that we add to as opposed to the defense. Mm-hmm. Like hindsight being twenty twenty, you would have taken whatever money that you committed to Mikhaev and said, We gotta get somebody in the door to make this group better. If we're gonna have the unfinished business slogan and our head coach is gonna say that missing the playoffs are a disaster, maybe we should upgrade that group ahead of the forward group. I think there are Canucks on this team, uh, part of this core, actually that are definitely worth keeping. And if you look at some of those terrible Colorado teams from like, I don't know, six or seven years ago now, that team had McKinnon. That team had Landeskog. 
and that team had a very young Rantanen, and McKinnon was very young too, right? It's not like they had to get rid of everyone. But guys like Matt Duchesne, they traded. Right, and that right. worked out well. They traded Tyson Berry to Toronto for Nazem Kadri, and Kadri definitely helped them get over the hump, even though he didn't play as much in the playoffs. He helped that team get over the hump. Mm-hmm. I think a guy like Pedersen and a guy like Quinn Hughes and a guy like Thatcher Demko, I'm not calling them untouchable, but I think they can build around those guys. I don't know how many others I'd say are untouchable because I think those guys need more help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the we talked about the core of the team being what, three, four guys. Hughes, Demko, Pedersen, and then I guess well, now. Well, Miller, Miller, obviously. Miller now. And the question but, would be maybe Bo Horvat. Right, and I think that's really been thrown into flux. I, again, I don't think that three games – is going to change or dictate anything, but I, I got a feeling that they're probably not pressing item number one is getting Bo Horvat resigned right now. I would say that. And, you know, it's interesting you brought up those Colorado teams because there's something to be said for, you know, losing really affecting young players. I mean, that was always the argument with Horvat when he was in his early 20s was mm-hmm. he was surrounded with so much losing. You hope to learn and take lessons from that. And in the case of, McKinnon, actually Rantanen was there for one of the bad years too, and Landis Cog, they knew what the bad look, times looked like. They never yeah. wanted to go back there, right? What they did do was get away from a lot of the guys that they just didn't see fitting in in the long term. So you mentioned Barry and Duchesne and everybody else. But there was also that sort of understanding that if Duchesne was there, it wouldn't maybe necessarily allow Landis Cog and Rantanen and McKinnon to be the guys because mm-hmm. Duchesne had a presence. He was their star player for a long time. They moved on from some guys. It's the reality of it. Is At the end of the day, you look at a lot of the teams that are successful and they identify a core of three or four players and then everything else, everything else is not necessarily moving parts, but parts that you are willing to move on from. Yeah. And I'll be interested to see what the Canucks do on that front as we continue on. Uh, you mentioned Thomas Drance earlier. Drance is going to join us in just a few minutes here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, also in the 8 o'clock hour, which is coming up, uh, we'll do what we learns. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. We have talked literally nothing with the rest of the NHL. We kind of went over it with Wyshynski a little bit. Uh, We have not talked about baseball, basketball, football, anything else. Russell Wilson on Thursday Night Football. Have we even mentioned it? Or Monday Night Football, sorry. Have we even mentioned it? Uh, He had a good first half. And then not so good second half. I kind of enjoyed it. I I tuned in for the... For the for the second half and the overtime and but I, I don't know I was still pretty shaken by the Canucks. Uh, just a quick clarification: couldn't even fully enjoy another Russell Wilson loss. Russell Wilson didn't have a good first half. He had a good first quarter. Okay, he went ten for ten for one hundred and sixteen yards and a touchdown in the first. He's quarter. back, baby. Uh, after that, five for eighteen for seventy two yards and three sacks. I don't. Thank you for that. Yeah, I needed was, that this yeah, morning. So you know, I we, needed it. Finally, we get in. Thank you. The, the Russell you put a Wil- smile on my face. The Russell Wilson Schadenfreude. It is amazing that the draft pick that they're going to get from Denver is going to be higher than their own draft. Hey, pick. I know we got to go awesome. to a break, but how many good teams are there in the NFL? One, two, not many. Buffalo, Kansas City. That's it. 
Like I mean, Philly, I'm, Philly, I'm even Philly, hesitant Philly. to put Philly in no, there. No, they've they've at least earned that. <laughs> Just because they were like a nine win team last year, which is good. They made the playoffs. They lost to Baltimore, was it? In the uh, no, uh, no, 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 not Baltimore. I can't remember who they lost no, it wasn't to. Baltimore. It wouldn't be Baltimore because that would be a Super yes. Bowl matchup. Yes. Um, I can't remember who they lost to in the first round last year. Regardless, uh, they came off a playoff performance. They're off to a perfect six and zero start. They're good. Like yeah. they're a good team. Mm-hmm. But outside of those. The, the ones that were used to being good, like Tampa Bay with Brady, not good. Yeah. Uh, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, not mm-hmm. good. The Saints are completely irrelevant now. Uh, the rest N- of the team. Nobody in the NFC West looks great. Does anyone respect the fact that the Minnesota Vikings are 5-1? and one? No, that's, the, not that's really, what I'm talking about. Not right? really. And then go to the AFC, and it's great to have all these. Like, the, the Chargers are 4-2 and two and atop of the AFC West after mm-hmm. that win last night. The Chargers don't look anywhere close to being a contender. They don't look very good at all, to be honest. I have questions about Herbert, frankly. He's hurt. Yeah. He's clearly injured. Mm-hmm. Remember that game where he got absolutely annihilated? I think it was week two. Does he have that it factor, though? I think when he can actually throw the football. He clearly can't throw the football downfield right now. Like Does, it, does that hurt him? It Maybe hurt. they should just go to rugby style. Yeah, like just pitch it backwards and <laughs> take your best shot. But he, like, he threw, I think he had like two long downfield passes. Yes, He just hurt. That's it. But yeah. they're not good enough. And it is an interesting question because I know you threw it out on Twitter yesterday. I think the Mm -hmm. answer is three. I think it's Kansas City, Buffalo, and Philly. Right. And that's it. You're welcome for that scintillating NFL analysis. We will now get back into the hockey. This is your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Don't go anywhere. Don't touch your dial. This is Sportsnet 650.